0: hey guys this is ariana and welcome to all things good a discussion-based podcast where we have important conversations about critical topics this podcast is for any human who is trying to make their internal and external worlds a better place to live Have you ever wondered what the intersection of feminism and environmentalism looks like? On this episode, we meet with my friend Marina, an aeronautical engineer and feminist based out of Madrid, Spain. We explore the world of ecofeminism, and she describes the unique relationship that women and our environment have being disproportionately affected by climate change and environmental pollution, as well as often being the ones on the front lines demanding change and protecting our Earth. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did, creating it especially for you. Enjoy. Today we have somebody so special here with us. We have my new friend, marina who is based out of madrid spain hi ariana thank you so much for inviting me to your podcast i'm so glad to be here me too i'm so glad to have you here and i'm so happy to have your expertise and your knowledge on the show marina is an aeronautical engineer and we recently met in iceland Yes, yes.
1: I was there in a work trip and I randomly met Ariana. I'm so happy
0: for that. <laughs> yeah, Me too. It was like so synchronous. I was stopping in Iceland on the way back to the US. I had just been in Germany for my good friend Matthias' wedding and I didn't necessarily plan this because I didn't know she was getting married at this time, but I ended up being in Iceland on the very last day of my 20s. Oh, nice. I I thought that you said to me that. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Um, And it's funny because did you know how cold Iceland was going to be? Uh, well, yes, I was full asleep. <laughs> yeah. But I remember you not, your note. <laughs> yes, I was not prepared whatsoever because uh, when we met, I was wearing multiple clothes layers. I was wearing like a t-shirt, a tank top, a sweatshirt. I had a blanket as a scarf. Uh, it didn't dawn on me that it would be like freezing in Iceland. And that night I got in there... I could have walked to my Airbnb, but I actually took an Uber. And then when I was starving, I was really tempted to just grab something fast, like pho noodles or something like that. But I stopped in the tourism shop and I asked the person who was working there, I said, if somebody is visiting for one night and one night only, where do you recommend you go to eat? And they said the Icelandic bar. So I walked and it was a really cozy, super cute place. And it was so busy. The only place to sit was at the bar. And I was there first. And then you and I believe it was your co-worker, you guys showed up and sat next to me. Yes, yes.
1: And in fact, uh, I love Uh, that place because uh, the last time i was in iceland i i went there too and because i really love uh, the food there and a colleague of mine that he is uh, from iceland he he recommended me this uh, place two years ago and well i just repeat repeat Mm -hmm. repeated with my colleague (laughs) yeah and yes the the Ariana was the uh, seat
0: next to me, and we started talking. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh Also, you always know something is good if the locals recommend it, and it's such a high tourist area. Yes, I love the locals' recommendations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I always. <laughs> yes, no matter where I go, I'm always asking the locals, like, "Where should I eat? Like, where is this?" Because I'm not super into touristy things. When you were sitting next to me, I heard you speaking in Spanish and I live in a predominantly Spanish speaking neighborhood or maybe I don't know if you would say predominantly, but like a lot of Spanish speaking people live there. And so when I heard you speaking Spanish, I got so excited and uh, I spoke to you in some Spanish.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I remember. (laughs) Um, I'm getting so good in Spanish so well.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. I remember when we were sitting there and you were explaining about your work trip. I was already blown away when you said you were an aeronautical engineer. I was like, the heck? Like, that's one of the coolest things I've ever heard. And then <laughs> I'm sorry, you're not. <laughs> like, it's that's so cool. And then when you told me specifically what you were there for, I'm not gonna lie, I definitely told uh I think I told my mom, I was like, Oh my goodness, I met like the coolest person ever. She's an aeronautical engineer and you were there for a training on how to teach the Icelandic people how to control air traffic when dealing with their volcanic emissions and eruptions like with the ash in the air, right? Yes, right. Yes, right.
1: It's a pretty specific job yeah because well, I work in the Ministry of Transport in Spain. I'm like responsible for the airspace matters that civil military coordination, drones and volcanic emergencies and that is why I was in Iceland working so many volcanoes in that island. <laughs> yeah
0: I had no idea well. Also, I like, obviously, I was not prepared for the weather. And then I also <laughs> didn't realize that there were volcanoes in Iceland. That is so wild and kind of crazy. Yes,
1: um, and they have this great experience in managing air traffic while the volcanic gas is, uh, like, affecting the airspace. So, yeah, we went there to learn all about that because in Spain we have these uh, volcanoes too. There's volcanoes so, in Spain. Yes, yes. In the Canary Islands. And yes, we went there to learn all about these Icelandic way of managing the volcanic emergencies. So yes.
0: That is. I really like that. So freaking cool. I feel like that's like one of the top coolest jobs I've ever heard of. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Thanks for doing what you do, because it sounds very important. <laughs> Thank you. I also remember you telling me that you're in your last year as an anthropology student. Yeah, yeah, I am. Wow, that's, that's really cool and incredibly impressive, being that you're already an aeronautical engineer, and then now you're doing that. I'm so curious, like, how did you get to where you are now in your like career and your education?
1: Yes, I can talk about my upbringing so the listeners
0: get to know me a little bit before yeah. we
1: start yeah Definitely. with our main topic. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, like I'm so curious like where were you born and what was it like when you were growing up? Oh, yes. Well,
1: I was born in Guadalajara, Spain, and raised in a little village in the middle of a natural reserve.
0: A natural reserve? That sounds like a literal dream to me, to live on a natural reserve.
1: Yeah, it was pretty beautiful and amazing to have this experience. And I was there uh, till I was a teenager. Then uh, as a teenager, I moved to the city and the change impacted me
0: a lot. But in Uh, other sense, yeah. mm -hmm. I can imagine. I'm sure like not only did it look very different, but I'm sure like culturally that was also very different. Yes, of course. Um, It was amazing to have. These
1: both experiences, like to live when I was a child in a village and then to change when I was older into the city. So there is this cultural change and it impacted me a lot. And since then, it's like uh, I think I started to be interested in the cultures and the different ways of living. Mm-hmm. Maybe at that time, I didn't know that that was anthropology. <laughs> <laughs> but with time, I realized that 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 it was. Mm-hmm.
0: So, so I uh, you know, know. know, you know, I I also kind of have an interesting connection with anthropology. And I didn't really understand what it was until I was in college. I had to take a history course, and I took the course prehistoric world cultures. And it was so cool because it's before time, right? So it's like before history was really being recorded. And my professor, her name was Dr. Walker, and she was so knowledgeable that she actually wrote our textbook and when i think back to college and i think about my favorite courses that is literally definitely in my top five so i i also have a bit of a connection with anthropology so i, I remember when you told me that you're in school for that that really interested me
1: yeah and that's that is so cool that we have also this connection so cool <laughs> <laughs> yeah Well, also, uh, apart from anthropology, I like to read a lot since I was a child. My favorite readings were, even today, about ancient history, and that is also anthropology related, in fact.
0: (laughs) I love love ancient history. I'm, like, getting more into it. Yeah, it's so uh,
1: an interesting topic for me, for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, But... Uh, I was pretty good at mathematics and physics and I decided to study
0: engineering because I don't know I like to suffer (laughs) (laughs) yeah I feel like that would be such a hard well hard is not the word I just when I think of any type of engineering or if anybody tells me they're an engineer I'm automatically impressed and Amazed, but then uh, your aeronautical, I will never like aeronautical engineering, like that's like on top, top tier impressiveness.
1: <laughs> yeah, but, but yes, thank you. But when I finished my engineering studies and I started working, uh, I decided to start the anthropology degree for fun <laughs> as I a mean. For fun. <laughs> for fun. That
0: sounded super nerd. <laughs> No, i nerdiness is super endearing like a nerdy nerdiness is a good thing <laughs> yeah maybe it is a good thing i don't know <laughs> but it's super nerd in any case
1: yeah <laughs> and and then uh, maybe because i am in a very masculinized environment for so long well engineering you know hmm or maybe because I'm a person who is very aware and conscious for I don't know injustice. I don't know exactly the reason I became a feminist.
0: Okay. Um, do you feel like that was a gradual process, or do you remember a specific point in time that like you're like, no?
1: I is- think it was more a progressive process, a gradually process. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. Yes, like, uh, I don't know, to be around men all the time in university and then in the work environment. Uh, I don't know, maybe, uh, sorry, I raised this awareness of how I was feeling and, and the things that were happening.
0: And You're, I felt
1: that I have to do something.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, if I was in a male-dominated place too, I feel like I would have to do something. But in that field, there isn't many women. No, we we
1: are only a few. In fact, in university, we were only the 10% students. And in my job, for example, there is only a few women. So yeah, it is so a um, masculinized environment. Yes. Wow. Okay.
0: Yeah, I- yeah
1: that, that is why I thought that I had to do something, uh, even if it was a small. So I created this blog. Las Bonobas, where I integrate anthropology, feminism, and ancient history. And it is a super modest blog, but I enjoy writing things very much.
0: Wow, that sounds incredible. Almost similarly to this podcast, I try to let it be a space where I can get the message across that I need to, but also let it be in like a way that can be constructive. And by mixing together anthropology, feminism, and ancient history, that sounds incredible.
1: Uh, yes, and um, the blog allows me to put in order my thoughts. Mm-hmm. And it is the, like the main purpose or uh, for the blog, but also to put out this on un- all information that,
0: I don't know, I read all the time. So, yes, I, I like it a lot. I feel like for me, my podcast is almost like a place where I could channel my existential dread. And so, um, <laughs> kind of similar. But when did you start your blog? In 2019, I started the oh, blog. 2019. Yeah. Oh, okay. Awesome. Yeah.
1: yeah. And, well, I also love to travel and, of course, music. I really love music. And now, as you said, I'm living in Madrid, the full experience, city life. I'm so happy.
0: I saw you were just at a concert. Was that like two nights ago? Yes, yes. I was in a concert two nights ago.
1: Yes, two nights ago. Yeah, for, yeah, on on Tuesday. Yeah,
0: That looked like it was a lot of fun. So uh, I'm glad with you loving music so much. I'm glad you're there. What's your favorite music? Oh,
1: my favorite music is indie rock music. Oh,
0: yeah. like
1: Arctic Monkeys and Arcade Fire groups like that.
0: Nice. What's your favorite yeah. song? Do you favorite have a favorite song.
1: song? Yeah. Okay. Uh, but it changes a lot <laughs> during the. T- <laughs> yeah. What I about right know? now? Do you have right now? I think my favorite song is a certain romance from the Arctic Monkeys. I really love that song.
0: Okay, I'm gonna have to check it out.
1: <laughs> yeah, you
0: have you too. yeah.
1: Maybe it can be the I don't know, the um how do you say it in English? The um
0: music behind the movies Yeah, like soundtrack. Yeah, the soundtrack of this book. <laughs> <podcast. laughs> okay. So you said your blog is called Las Bonobas? Uh, what does that mean? Okay. Yeah, that is a really interesting
1: question because, uh, okay, as you probably know, bonobos are a type of primate that mainly lives in the Congo area. I've actually
0: never heard of them.
1: Oh, yeah, not so many people know uh, about uh, them, but it is like, okay, uh, chimpanzees along with bonobos are our closest primate relatives and over the past few decades, the study of chimpanzees has been a classic example of trying to better understand humans. Uh, based on the behavior of in chimpanzees, primatologists and other scientists believed they could find an explanation for our origin as a species and build an androcentric model of human evolution where dominance belonged uh, to men.
0: I feel like I've I I've heard a lot about that because I know scientists do try to observe them, and I didn't really understand that they were doing it from an androcentric model. the The root word of that, the andro, that means from like a male centered point of view, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, that is because uh, the chimpanzees has uh, have a really uh, patriarchal behavior. So oh, okay,
0: okay. Just yeah. like humans. Like, uh... Exactly.
1: Just like the male scientists. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So they they chose chimpanzees because they they can relate with their behavior. Because mm-hmm. in the early twentieth century, in the early years of well yeah, in the past decades, scientists were Mostly men, these male scientists chose chimpanzees because they can relate with them and they their behavior because they have this patriarchal re- behavior. But mm-hmm. uh, when uh, more female scientists came to the picture, uh-huh. uh, they discovered that bonobos, that mm-hmm. they are or other closest relatives present a totally different picture. In bonobos, females mm-hmm. establish uh, strong bonds among themselves and dominate within the group. The females dominate the group? Yeah, the females dominate the group. Wow. Yeah, so we can verify that the dominance of males decreases when females cooperate among themselves. mm Okay. Now the close relationship we have with the bonobos means the researchers are rethinking the evolutionary model of our origins as a species. Mm. So we think that male dominated in that times, and we we had this uh, evolutionary model, Uh but with the bonobos, that the other closest relatives to us, to humans, they present this new model where female dominates. So yeah, well, that's there, like yeah, there is something to think about. Is yeah, like why we based our evolutionary model on chimpanzees? Yeah. Why we can base our evolutionary model on bonobos?
0: Especially where? if we're equally related. Yes, equally related even more bonobos than chimpanzees. What? So Ugh.
1: yeah. <laughs> So yeah, it is like, uh, well, androcentric models, and because uh, of this female cooperation that occurs between females in the case of the bonobos, that is why I decided to call the blog Las Bonobas, which is uh, the female form of bonobos in Spanish. And because it is a new theory that rethinks common thinking, and I love that. So that is why my blog is called Las Bonobos.
0: Holy moly, that is so cool. And that blows my mind that we're even more closely related with DNA with the bonobos monkeys, which I've never even heard of until you're explaining this to me. I wonder what the word would be instead of androcentric. I wonder what the female centric version of that word would be. Well, not I'm not it's not that surprising. But like you said, the research before was primarily dominated by men. So I don't think they wanted to take the time to understand a different model that would like challenge
1: and it's so unfair for bonobos because chimpanzees are so famous, but bonobos, not they are not. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. But I'm so glad that the new female
0: scientists are rescuing these primates. So, yeah. They deserve their fame. And I think by talking about them now, we're at least helping people hear about them. So I'm thankful about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Yeah. I remember when we were in the restaurant and when you were explaining about your blog, you mentioned that one of the main things that you try to spread awareness about is eco-feminism. And I wanted to ask you to be able to explain it further to me because when we were meeting I was like wait we have to get you on the show so we didn't go into that much detail but I was wondering if you could explain that term and elaborate what ecofeminism is
1: oh yes of course I'm so glad to explain this because ecofeminism is a theory that is not so well known I read about it a lot, and I think it's a very interesting topic to talk about. So, so yeah, I'm going to explain, um, yeah, the listeners what is ecofeminism, so they know about it, <laughs> yeah. Our era has been called the Anthropocene by the Nobel Prize winner in chemistry, Paul Gretzen. It is the geological epoch that begins with industrialization a period in which humanity has for the first time possessed the technical capacity to radically modify the entire planet. Eco-feminism arises from the encounter between feminism and ecology during the 70s as a convergence of both, of both demands. Uh, so according to the Spanish philosopher Alicia Puleo, which I am so fan of these women, uh, whose (laughs) approaches on ecofeminism have, have been internationally adopted as a theoretical basis. Ecofeminism is a thought and a movement different from the best known forms of feminism and implies a new empathetic vision of nature that redefines the human being to move towards a future free of all domination. Mm. A future free of androcentrism, that patriarchal point of view that makes man and his experience the measure of all things. Mm-hmm. And also <laughs> anthropocentrism, that believe that only what is human has value. And that is uh, ecofeminism.
0: Wow. That's an incredibly important... Oh, yeah, so complex. <laughs> and... I think it's really interesting that you said that it emerged from the 70s because I know that that was a time period where there was a lot going on. There was a lot of statistics coming out about maybe different practices, whether it was commercial practices or in the industry of when goods are being produced. I know a lot of information was coming out about how that affects the environment. And then that was also a really big time for human rights and civil rights and feminine rights so it really emerged from a very interesting point in time in history
1: yes yes of course of course and and it is a concept that helps a lot to understand many things and it is a term that serves a lot to women
0: yeah but why relate feminism and ecology to one another
1: Yeah, because I think we're in enough mess already with feminism and ecology.
0: Yeah, I mean, (laughs) separately, they're like super huge, massive issues. Uh, And on a side note, I'm a little disappointed that even though this emerged in the 1970s, that it's not a more well-known thing. Yeah, like uh, that's pretty discouraging. But what's the importance behind this in regards to t- linking them together, yeah.
1: Well, after studying it carefully, it makes uh, much more sense that it seems at the first glance. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm going to present like uh, several reasons why both movements uh, should be
0: integrated. Okay. So, what's yeah. your what's the first reason you think? Yeah, the
1: first reason, and I think is the probably the most important reason in my opinion, of course. (laughs) Climate change affects the entire population, but it especially affects the most vulnerable people, particularly women and girls in poverty, who bear the worst consequences of
0: environmental, economic, and social tensions and suffer poverty most intensely. You're so right about that and that climate change is going to be affecting the most vulnerable people. And as it is with the differences between the way men and women are treated in this world, also the resources they have access to, that makes a lot of sense.
1: Yes, and for example, also women make up 80% of people displaced for climatic reasons, according to the United Nations Environment Program, despite having a lower carbon footprint. Wait, 80% of people displaced are women? Yeah, for climatic reasons, because women are part of the most vulnerable people. So, yes. Mm-hmm. And for example, women and girls are often the last to eat or to be rescued in the event of a climate disaster, such as, I don't know, a cyclones or floods
0: mm-hmm.
1: and of course, uh, climate change threatens to undermine socioeconomic gains made by women in the recent decades. Mm, so, yeah. yeah. But at the same time, and um, this is my favorite part, it is, <laughs> yeah, it is these same women who are using their knowledge and experience to lead the fight against climate change and environmental devastation. These defenders of the earth I love it. I really love that term, uh, have developed practices that are considered ecofeminist because they relate the defense of the territory, species and natural resources to their specific problems regarding women.
0: Who better to have be the fight behind this than the people who have the most knowledge and incentive to make a change?
1: Of course, who is the best to fight against that? That the people is uh, suffering the consequences for that. So, yeah. This is the case, for example, of the indigenous movements against the environmental devastation produced by mega mining and agribusiness in Latin America, where women are the protagonists of this uh, resistance.
0: Is mega mining when? They go in and try to get precious resources and metals and and things like that. Is that the term?
1: Yeah, yes, is that the term? But it is not like a local mining. It's like a a huge company just uh, have these concessions of the territory and exploit everything in a Mm. huge way. I don't know how to describe it, but yes. yes, super company.
0: Yes, I think I know what you're talking about and I actually have never heard of that term mega mining but I recently have been learning and hearing more about especially in Africa and I've been hearing a lot about in particular in Congo how mining is really devastating that population and displacing but also just literally wiping out entire populations I wanted to take a moment and speak further on the mining that is taking place in Congo. The Democratic Republic of Congo is unique, as it has more cobalt reserves than the rest of the planet combined. Cobalt is an integral part in the manufacturing of almost all lithium-ion rechargeable batteries used today on a global scale. These batteries are used in cell phones, tablets, laptops, vaping devices, electronic toothbrushes, and much more. It may, or it may not, come to you as a surprise that China holds 70-80% to of the global refined cobalt market and approximately half of the battery market. They secured this dominance by a deal that was signed in 2009 under the ruling of Joseph Kabila, the previous president of the DRC. This granted exclusive access by the Chinese government to 15 out of the 19 primary industrial copper cobalt mining concessions. This was a deal that was made in exchange for assistance in developing roads, public health clinics, hospitals, schools, and other infrastructure. Majority of the cobalt is extracted by artisanal miners. These are freelancers that work in extremely dangerous conditions using antiquated equipment, such as pickaxes, shovels, and fragments of rebar to harvest the cobalt. Their working conditions are inhumane and are often referred to as modern-day slavery. These artisanal workers mine in open air pits and hand dug tunnels that often collapse on them, leading to serious injuries, amputations, and commonly death. Children are often kidnapped, trafficked, or recruited by militias. Much of this persists due to the corruption located in the governmental agencies. In 1960, Patrice Lumumba the first democratically elected president of the DRC, pledged that the massive mineral riches and resources would remain within the country and benefit the people who live there. Within six months of making that pledge, he was overthrown, assassinated, chopped into pieces, then dissolved in acid, being replaced by a dictator that would continue the flow of the minerals outside of the country. I think this is an astronomically sized issue that can very much feel outside of our control. But what we can start doing today is to not view our lithium-ion battery-powered devices and products as disposable, avoid replacing these items as frequently, and attempt to acquire secondhand whenever possible. Spread the awareness of this topic by talking about it with friends and family. It can be really uncomfortable learning that choices we had made blindly or unknowingly have led to such devastation and destruction. But it is through the power of knowledge that we can then modify our actions to help make the world a better place to live. So I think that's a side note but I want to learn more about that and maybe even do an episode on it one time but yes I did I didn't know it was also happening in Latin America
1: yeah in Latin America is happening in a lot of countries but there is this case um in Honduras for example these uh, well these these movements of these indigenous people People against the environmental devastation uh-huh. have already heroic figures admired and recognized internationally. Some of them are murdered, uh, such as the Honduran Berta Cáceres. She was an indigenous Lenka leader. Who are the Lenka people? The Lenka, meaning Jaguar people or people of the Jaguar. Are an indigenous people from present-day southwest Honduras and eastern El Salvador in Central America.
0: Oh, okay, okay. So now, it's in that region. Their leader was murdered. Yes, Berta Cáceres. She was an environmentalist,
1: feminist, and defender of indigenous rights in Honduras. Mm-hmm. Was assassinated for defending the environment. Ah. She, she,
0: uh, this makes me so mad when I hear about these leaders or these scientists who make groundbreaking discoveries or really stand up for what they believe in and then they're murdered. It me—it may- just makes me so angry and irate.
1: Yes, I know. Uh, but she has become a symbol of all the activists who have died fighting power by defending their land and natural resources. He mm-hmm. was known as the Guardian of Rivers. I love that. She received the Goldman Prize in, two, in, in 2015, considered the world's uh, most important prize for environmental activism. And I think I'm going to explain a little bit more this example in uh, because it is also very anthropological and Berta Cáceres deserves it. Okay. Yeah. As you probably know, in 2009, there was a coup d'etat in Honduras. Mm-hmm. And this coup d'etat enabled a massive concession of the territories in Honduras. In this massive concession, almost all the rivers in the region of the Lenca people were granted to hydroelectric plants.
0: Wait, you said this was in 2009? Yeah. So it's not that long ago. No, 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 not that long ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, One of
1: these uh, rivers granted to these hydroelectric plants was the Hualcarque River. This is a river that for Lenka people is sacred Mm. because it originates from a sacred mountain, but also because it is a river in which it is understood that female spirits live and take care of the water. Oh, Yeah, then the Lenka people decided to defend this river and refused to allow hydroelectric projects to be built on it. And the DESA company, which was a company that had illegally obtained the concession of that river, uh, set
0: up a criminal structure that attacks uh, those who demonstrate and protect the river. So the company illegally gained access to this and then they set, in laws that whoever tries to defend this river will, be, yeah, at- will attacked. be
1: attacked. Yeah. So the region was militarized and the state made the police corps available to the company. So, first, they tried to corrupt Berta Cáceres. When they couldn't, they started to criminalize her. She was in jail for a while, but they ended up releasing her. Since prison hadn't uh, hadn't worked, they began threatening her, and well, on March 2016, they murdered her in her own home. So, okay. so yeah, today this event continues unpunished, and the plundering of the natural resources and territory against which uh, Berta Cáceres uh, fought. Also continues unpunished. So
0: yeah, it is a sad example. But um, when um, when this was happening, was this something that you followed like real time, or did you know about Ooh. her when she was alive? Yes, of course, because Berta Cáceres were
1: so famous, like uh, a symbol of the resistance and and a symbol for defending the environment. Mm-hmm. She won this prize a year. Before. Oh yes
0: her murder there still has been nobody punished for this crime yeah because there is the power of the
1: state and the power of this mega mining and mega uh, when in this case uh, hydro uh, hydraulic plants that have the power so and this is just indigenous people so it is all very
0: unbalanced
1: and unfair
0: this is really such a profound example of where women are being forced to step up to the plate if they want to see change for Bertha to step up, organize this fight and protect the river that is so important to her and her people and you know especially that it's protected by the female saints and the the female spirits. This is an amazing example of how powerful women are.
1: Yes, of course. These uh, kind of women are like a reference for many other fights against climate change. Another example is uh, that of the Anamori women in Chile and their defense of native seeds. Due to their knowledge of the land, these women are rescuing the agricultural heritage of their country and so far have achieved a stock of 250 species.
0: Oh my word, that that is so amazing to do, especially with climate change and how agriculture is shifting. That's so important.
1: Yes, of course. Um, And it it has been recognized that these women who practice an ancestral trade in their knowledge of the land are fundamental to maintaining the biodiversity, not only for Chile, but for the
0: world? Uh, Definitely. I don't know if I've heard of really any other groups doing this. I, I do know that where I live in the U.S., maybe in particular like the Northeast, I know that there's been a lot of people trying to encourage the spread of natural flower seeds. I know that People have been trying to do that to help with the biodiversity and also to maintain the native species. But over 250 species of native seeds for their agriculture. That is so impressive. Yes,
1: of course. It's like recovering the land with these ancestral knowledge that women. Gather, so it is pretty amazing. That is an, a so totally different example from Berta Cáceres. But we have more examples and crossing from Latin America to Africa. We find many other examples of ecological struggle by women in the defense of their resources, territory, and species. Uh-huh. For example, we have Wangari Muta Matai who was a Kenyan activist politician, and environmentalist who in 2004 saw her work recognized by receiving the Nobel Peace Prize for her contributions to sustainable development, democracy, and peace. And in the 70s, she founded the Green Belt Movement.
0: Oh, what's that? What is the Green Belt Movement?
1: Yeah, well, currently this network is concerned with the protection of the environment, giving relevance to African women and their family environment, offering initiatives and sustainable living conditions for them. And since its creation, the planting of more than 50 million trees has been promoted in Kenya, also facilitating the training of thousands of women so they can Earn income from forestry and beekeeping, so
0: it's a wow. really, really nice project. That's so beautiful to have. Beautiful. Yeah, and especially I know in a lot of different parts in Africa, it's just been totally devastated by mining or deforestation and e- exploiting them for their resources. And yeah, um,
1: yeah. And in this case, the eco ecofeminism is so well in place because okay they are planting 50 million trees and recovering the land and all the green uh, parts of of the land and also they are giving the women
0: resources to live. Mm, yeah creating jobs and giving skills uh training for knowledge so yeah that's like a perfect example of ecofeminism
1: yeah, and another example, totally different from the others, it is in Zimbabwe. Uh, for example, there is this all-female team all- of wildlife rangers. Oh, it is called the Akasinga, the Braves in the Zona language, and is revolutionizing the
0: fight against poaching. So a group of women to help against it's to help fight against poaching. Yes, yes. And
1: I read this report in the National Geographic uh-huh. And the founder of the Akasinga group says that after several years training male guards, he came to the conclusion that in some ways women were more suitable for the position <laughs> because, yeah, because the women were less uh, receptive to bribes from poachers and more competent in redirecting potentially violent situations.
0: (laughs) I love that. I love that. I love that for us. (laughs) And that makes sense. Like, it doesn't matter how much money you give me or whatever you're trying to offer me. Like, if I say no, I mean no. (laughs) Yes.
1: Yes, of course. And he also knew that working women in developing countries invest 90% of their income in the family compared to the 35% for men, thus promoting the growth and development of the community. So it is uh, so beneficial for the community to have these women also in the ASA Wildlife Rangers. And furthermore, all members of the Akasinga have gone through trauma, like AIDS orphans, victims of sexual assault or domestic violence, So they are giving them like a second life chance, yeah. yeah. Uh, So they can work and they can have these new purpose
0: in Mm -hmm. in life. Yeah, it's like an opportunity to have because a lot a lot of the times when anyone, but especially women, experience such traumatic events, it could really impact the way your future unfolds and. Having a space where when these women are doing something very valuable and important and something they can be passionate about and create money and be able to provide to their family. And like you said, 90% of their income usually is funneled back into the family, which makes total sense to be completely honest. (laughs)
1: <laughs> and and it is a perfect example of ecofeminism too, because they are fighting against these wildlife poachers. So they are protecting the environment. And on the other hand, they are having this second opportunity as women. So uh, it, it is the feminism. So it is a the perfect match also in this example for this uh, concept. And one thing that impacted me a lot in this National Geographic article mm-hmm. is that after the tough selection process to join this team, the founder of the group words were like, we thought we were going to put them, the women, through hell. And it, it turned out that they had been through it before. Mm-hmm. So it was like a tough uh, sentence. And, um, well, this woman is so, well, so brave. Like a single. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's, yeah. that's awesome.
1: Yeah. So I think we finished with this first main reason to join these two concepts. Mm-hmm. But it is more many reasons <laughs> that maybe I can explain them too. Sure. Of course. So another reason to relate ecology and feminism is the growing influence of the environmental pollution on women's health. Mm. Well, as you know environmental pollution affects all human beings but not to the same extent. Wow. Yeah, this is so interesting because due to the higher content of fat cells. Wow, I've never thought
0: about that before.
1: Yeah, because, uh, well, due to the higher content of fat cells, a lot of environmental toxins, heavy metals, and toxic substances present in many cleaning or cosmetic
0: products tend to accumulate, especially mm-hmm. in women's bodies. Because mm, I feel like, w- number one, we definitely use cosmetics way more than men. And then number two, the women... T- more traditionally speaking, are probably, you know, I don't know the statistics, but I'm sure they're the ones that are doing most of the cleaning as well. Yeah, yeah, yes,
1: yes, yes. And uh, Well, th- there is this Spanish doctor, Carme Valls-Jovett, specialized in endocrinology and medicine with a gender pers- perspective, says that the women's body acts as a chemical bioaccumulator, suffers consequences such as Alterations in reproductive uh, health, the appearance of emerging diseases such as fibromyalgia, multiple chemical sensitivity, chronic fatigue, and increase in breast cancer.
0: That word you said is uh, we say fibromyalgia, and I know that that's actually a really big problem. I either know several people personally or I know people who know people that have it.
1: Yeah, I also know people personally that have. uh, fibromyalgia. I don't know how to pronounce it in English.
0: Yeah, <laughs> fibromyalgia. yeah. 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 No, yours is way prettier, like a nicer sounding. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. Uh, and actually, all of those people are women. So
1: yeah, uh, yes, it, it is a higher percentage of uh, women that suffer this. Well, of course, environmental pollution is, is uh, a cause. Maybe, yeah. yeah, so this uh, fact means that the ecofeminist perspective is present in this type of research. So this is another reason to take into account ecofeminism. This is great. And I don't know if people have noticed that, maybe yes, because it's so evident, but Another reason for this great relationship between ecology and feminism is that the basis of the global environmental movement are mostly female, and this fact is even greater in the case of the animal movement
0: mm, yeah i I do see a trend there. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> it's usually the women on the on the forefront with that.
1: Yeah, for example, in Spain we have the case of Pacma, the Animal Rights uh, Party, uh, where the majority of members of the party are women.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel all- like in the U.S. is something kind of similar. You know, this may be more on us uh, slightly subjective, but I'm curious, even for people who are listening. I feel like when I think about most of my animal rights activist friends and most of my vegan or vegetarian friends that do it for animal rights purposes, I feel like most of those are women. Yeah,
1: yes. It is the, the greater par- participation of female volunteers in animal shelters, too. Mm-hmm. That is another okay. kind of, of example. Yeah, that makes um, sense. Yeah. And why not say it? The well-known case of Greta Thunberg. Mm, yes. A young woman, uh, sorry, a young woman climate activist who is leading the environmental movement in
0: the West and making making many feel uncomfortable. So Mm-mm. I love Greta. I think she's awesome, <laughs> and she's inspired me a lot too. Even with you know making efforts to really make a profound difference, and even with starting this podcast I feel like she's a really a really big inspiration seeing a woman so young being so powerful and getting her voice heard
1: yeah and it is another example of these um I don't know environmental leaders that are w- women that it is the point of uh, yeah Berta Cáceres and Amuri women and so so these kind of examples that I uh, w- that we talk about in the beginning of the podcast so Yes. Yes. But there is more reasons. I have two more reasons. Uh,
0: okay. Yeah. Wh- what's the next link, reason?
1: Yeah, to link these two concepts. So another reason why ecology becomes uh, a feminist issue, and this the, that is one of my favorites, this is my favorite. Uh,
0: okay. It
1: is, <laughs> yeah. It is the empathic approach methodologies for the acquisition of the scientific knowledge that have been created and promoted by female scientists, especially primatologists.
0: Mm, And primatologists are individuals who study primates, right? Yes, of course. Yeah,
1: Yeah, this type of method advocates abandoning the opposition between reason and emotion, a dualism that has a clear gender uh, subtext, Okay. And thanks to the scientists like Diane Fossey, Virute Galdicaz, and Jane Goodall. I really love Jane Goodall. (laughs) Uh, Primatology is an example of the effect that the use of the emphatic approach in research has had. Like, okay, achieving knowledge of what the cool and distant study of numbered individuals had not been able to discover, Traditionally, these male scientists studying, for example, chimpanzees, they put a number on the chimpanzees individuals, like subject number one, number two, and they maintain this cold distance between them and the subjects, the, the chimpanzees.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And then came Jane Goodall and she had this amazing relationship between the chimpanzees and her, they put names on on them. Sorry, she put names on them, and she, I don't know, developed this close relationship like they were friends.
0: Yeah, it's like you're giving.
1: Yeah, like a- like you are em- empathic with with them. Yeah. Like- They are, uh, I don't know, a subject that has feelings that you know them. You get Mm -hmm. to know them. Yeah,
0: you're making that connection and like allowing yourself to connect on a deeper level instead of just like, like you said, like subject 102 or whatever. It's like, I think the famous primate she worked with was Coco, I think. Um, Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Coco or any, really anything. You're just getting on that next level and really connecting.
1: Yes. And so Jane could uh, make these new discoveries in the behavior of the chimpanzees because this new methodology, methodology.
0: So I didn't know that. I do love Jane Goodall, just from what I've heard about her, but I need to learn a little bit more. And That makes a lot of sense in regards to like having more of the empathetic approach. I like that a lot. I see why this is one of your favorite reasons.
1: Yes, yes. It's so beautiful. Yeah. (laughs) Yes.
0: All of this talk about powerful women is in alignment with a book that recently came into my life. I was walking home through my neighborhood from the subway when a book that was put out on someone's stoop caught my attention. Bad girls throughout history, 100 remarkable women who changed the world, was plastered on the front cover. This book is written and illustrated by Anne Shen, and she does a wonderful job sharing these women's stories and how they were perceived as in quotation marks, bad by going against what society had deemed as appropriate or acceptable for them. Introduced in chronological order, the first woman you meet is Lilith, who is Adam's lesser-known first wife that predated Eve. Lilith refused to be subservient and left the Garden of Eden. She isn't even mentioned in the Bible pretty wild right i haven't finished it yet but it has been my nightly routine to read a few pages before going to bed it's been a real delight to fill my brain with such inspiring stories and helping create a deeper appreciation for all the women around me providing a reminder of all that we can accomplish
1: And well, the last reason, this is, uh, well, pretty controversial, but it is a reason too. It is uh, There is this issue of demographic pressure on the planet's uh, resources and its relationship
0: with the lack of sexual and reproductive rights of women in many countries around the world. I feel like that is something that is not talked about enough, especially living in the West and living in more developed countries, I don't really like think about it. I know that in the U.S., especially recently, we've had challenges in regards to like sexual health and reproductive health rights in regards to like abortion. And then in the U.S., healthcare can be quite a challenge for those who don't have it and having access to affordable healthcare or healthcare that has good coverage. I know that we have like a challenging dynamic, but honestly, sometimes I I am just like really uh crushed or like really bummed out when I just think about how even though we may experience those challenges here in the US, like a lot of other countries, especially the lesser developed countries, and then a lot of countries, the ones who are being most affected by climate change and like shifts in the in the climate, they have even fewer resources. Yes, 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 yes.
1: That is the point, of course. And uh, well, uh, this uh, Spanish philosopher Alicia Puleo, who I mentioned before, who
0: uh, is. Which-
1: who is Alicia Puleo? Yeah, it is this Spanish philosopher that developed the, the term of ecofeminism. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. yes. She developed this, uh, well, she's internationally recognized for developing this theoretical uh, basis of ecofeminism, and she's so recognized. And well, she explains that the feminization of poverty, the obstacles placed on the literacy and training of girls and sexual education, as well as the laws that impose forced motherhood are aspects of the oppression of women that have important ecological implications. So, so yes, that, that is uh, what we were saying uh, about yeah. this, uh, this link between the 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 lack of uh, reproductive rights, and the ecological implications. So it is also a theme for ecofeminism, of course.
0: Yes, and it's hard enough to spread the knowledge and access to the knowledge, but then you're also dealing with populations where the ability to read and write, and the ability to have access to education. Sometimes it's not even about higher levels of education. It's like you have these women, these very young women who are essentially girls and, you know, technically in in the West or in more developed countries, they would be in middle school or maybe junior high or high school. and, And by that age, they may be already having Children and unfortunately, it's not always. on un- Uh. I feel like I'm trying to dance around this topic, like very like, politically correct. Yes,
1: yes. <laughs> and I think that is. This is more related to, like, okay, um, the climate change, the uh, environmental devastation affects these most vulnerable countries, the regions where poverty is more high and their resources are missing also there is no uh, like okay this is controversial but it is no control of reproduction because the women are forced to be to this motherhood they also they don't have The laws to protect them, a lack of reproductive rights. So they are having children in a country or in a region where the resources are very low, the poverty are really high, and the climate change are affecting this region. Mm -hmm. So they are the climate change are hitting the region so hard. At the end, are going to be women. So yeah,
0: yes. Uh, you know, these women more traditionally are the ones that are going to get the water. And as the climate becomes more irregular and we have these hotter, unlivable conditions and our rivers are drying up and like the water wells and it's these women who sometimes have to walk like miles a day just to get water.
1: Yeah, and then yeah, and it, and it is going to be this demographic pressure because yes. they are having a lot of children, and there is like okay exponentially more people to feed, more people to to spend resources on. So, um- and
0: also just to add on what you're saying, a uh, one key point which is like something that I feel like I'm kind of low key trying to avoid saying, but the fact is that also with these women having. All these children, or like expanding their families, a lot of the times it's not consensual or, oh, yeah, of course, no, like rape. Um, and, And I understand that's a very triggering term or word for people, but I just know that some people may make the argument of, well, maybe they shouldn't keep having children or like they shouldn't be expanding, but as we've said, you know, they don't have access to those resources or they don't have yeah. access they to- have a lack
1: of, re- of sexual and reproductive rights. Mm-hmm. So they are, like, not deciding in, in the most cases, maybe. So... Yes. So yeah, that's the point. Mm. Yeah. Um, and yes, and, and to conclude, this uh, eco-feminism topic, as a conclusion... Like, today, the patriarchal system remains obsessed with power and continues to lead us to suicidal wars and the poisoning of the land, the water, and air. No,
0: I don't think that happens with patriarchy. Yeah, Yeah, I don't think so, too. (laughs) I just made that up. Yeah. No.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so yeah. So the the existence of a gender component in the roots on which the current productive system is based is undeniable. Mm-hmm. I think so for example, is that only a hundred companies produce the 71% of the world's greenhouse gases? What the heck?
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, only a hundred companies, like in one way okay. that sounds like a lot, but that is an incredibly small percentage yes. of companies that produce seventy one percent of world greenhouse gases. Yes.
1: yes is that, the heck? The, it, that is a, a data that is like, um, it it, it blows my mind. Yeah. Me too. Um, yeah. And and the ninety nine of these hundred companies are led by men. Mm-hmm. They have a woman, Grethe Moen, who is president and CEO of Petoro AS in Norway. I, I imagine her in the in the decision boards with a fake beard like the movie The Life of Ryan.
0: <laughs> Probably. I want to meet this chick. I want to talk yeah. to her and see what's up. But 99% of those companies are led by men.
1: Yeah! Wow! And and the fact is that these companies together control the majority of the world's oil, gas, and coal exploitation rights. There is uh-huh. a, there is an atlas that gives the names and surnames of these uh, gentlemen, and uh-huh. uh, maybe uh, you can put the, the link oh, so I'll people can, the people can I don't know um, consult
0: uh, this this resource. So it, it's is so curious. Okay, I'll definitely put it in the show notes so everybody. You're gonna go to that link and look up these names, and I don't know, maybe send some emails or write some letters and like. Yeah. Jeez, <laughs> Louise, what the heck? I'm blown away by that fact. I can't believe it, but at the same time, I can because like. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, me too. Obviously.
1: <laughs> obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and according to Alicia Puleo, or philosopher. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, she said, like, today more than ever, ecofeminist philosophy is necessary if we want a world that is not desolation, suffering, and death. And it is a statement that I fully share. Mm-hmm. Me and, too. Yeah. And in this moment of civilization crisis, women can contribute a lot of value, making it necessary to recognize the attitudes and behaviors of empathy and care as extremely valuable, valuable. teaching them from the childhood also to boys, not just girls, and applying them beyond our species to animals and the earth as a whole.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So,
1: yeah, to conclude, this search for environmental balance must include empowering women. (laughs) That is, that is the main thing to say. Yeah, to be this yes. concept is is like yeah.
0: Wow, I, I really agree with everything you said. A lot of it I heard for the first time. But just imagine what our world would look like if it was a matriarch compared to a patriarch, and yeah, with all the information, you never know. <laughs> What did you say? We we never know. Um, yeah, but like... Maybe, maybe if we took the Bonovas example. <laughs> mm-hmm, exactly. And especially we're more closely related to them. And, you know, I feel like a woman-centered world or like a woman-dominated world. And I think it's like funny because even as I'm saying it, like, Just because I've been trained with an androcentric model, I feel like as I'm saying it, it's almost like, oh my goodness, like, women dominating, like, that's a bit extreme. But, like, literally, men do dominate. And, like, so it's, like... It, first of all, I'm just thinking like internally from a psychological perspective, I wish <laughs> it, did, it didn't feel so strange. It
1: is not like a thing of, I don't know, change the side of the domination, like a war or something like that. It is more like to take into account the women. It is mm-hmm. like to balance the power. It is uh, something like that because, know, yeah, yeah, it is like, okay, we have this climate change problem that affects the vulnerable people that mostly are women. And also we have these women that are fighting with her knowledge mm-hmm. and their experience with these empathetic approaches, and they are leading this fight against climate change. So please make these women visible, uh, hear hear them, let them to do the things to fight against that, because there is a lot of value in that. And (laughs) the main conclusion is like, okay, empowering women is going to have a so beneficial effect on climate change and in the communities and in general. And I wanted to finish with a sentence that is also from our philosopher, Alicia Buleo.
0: I really like everything you've shared so far about her message. I think she's very important.
1: Yeah, she is uh, in Spain and uh, in yeah internationally, she is great. And the, her sentence is like, It is necessary to take into account the experience and feeling of millions of women in the world, women who work every day in defense of nature from very diverse areas, convictions and ways. And that is uh, the main message uh, for all of these. So I hope uh, you enjoy and and I don't know if you understand me because and English is not my
0: mother mm-hmm. language, but I hope I I could explain myself. Yeah, I think you you're doing amazing, and also I think it's great because I know myself, and I'm sure a lot of other listeners here. I don't think we could speak Spanish as well as you are speaking English. So I think like um, I'm very impressed and very happy that you shared all this. And I know that the listeners too, and your, your English really is great. Well, thank you. And I hope the listeners also like it and
1: know about this, the huge topic that is psycho-feminism that I, I really like.
0: And mm-hmm. um, Yeah. And I also hope they check out your blog. Oh, I hope so. I will love that. Yes. How can they reach it? How can they find it?
1: Well, they can find me on Instagram. I have uh, this account. Maybe you can put it on the podcast resources or something something like that. Because it is is in Spanish, though, Mm -hmm. but maybe we have these. I don't know the people that speak Spanish and can learn can read in Spanish. And okay, okay, what's the Instagram handle? Yeah, it is Las Bonobas blog. Okay, and then I have uh, my blog website that it is uh, www dot Can you spell Las
0: Bonobas?
1: Yeah, I I think I can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is um L A S B O N O B A S Las Bonobas?
0: <laughs> okay, thank you. Yeah, are right, yeah, I understand th- it right? Maybe not. <laughs> well, you know, I think also there's so much technology out there, there might be like translation things or whatever, but yes, I hope they go check that out too. Oh. Also, really quick, I wanted to tell you that I actually okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell it to you in Spanish. Okay. Uh, yo cambio la idioma en mi teléfono a español este semana. Oh, nice nice i I understood you so you did so well thank you i so for people who don't speak spanish i changed the language in my cell phone this week to spanish when we first met at the restaurant i heard marina speaking in spanish and that's something we also kind of bonded over a little bit because i attempted to talk to you in spanish a little bit
1: I know. I think I remember. And you talk Spanish very well. Very well. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Also, that I know night. you can set up the alarm in Spanish, so it is. Yeah, it's nice. But <laughs> setting up the alarm is it, it is not super nice, but
0: yeah, can mm-hmm. no. yeah. I I really like that. Okay. Also, another really nice thing about meeting you in that restaurant, which honestly i'm a diehard foodie like i love food more than anything and <laughs> when we were sitting next to each other it was really sweet so you ordered some like a super traditional icelandic recipe right You it was the fish fish cake Hittikur, Hittikur. i
1: think it's the name okay.
0: it's it is like a fish pie yes like a fish pie and I remember I was sitting next to you and it looked so, so good. And we kind of talked a little bit, but like not super much. And I was kind of embarrassed, but also I asked if I could try a bite. And thank you so much for sharing that with me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the bread was so good. Oh my gosh, the bread was insane. Like that bread was one of the most delicious things I've ever had in my entire life. This uh, feast by bread is so, so good. (laughs) I actually bought an order of that bread to bring back to yeah, me. Yeah.
1: Because she's, I...
0: she's from Finland and they have really good bread there too, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that was my little s- side note, but uh, a little tangential, but uh, that was really important and I wanted to share it with you and also with listeners.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. I love <laughs> that side note. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so one thing I like to do near the end of each call is I like to ask whoever I'm speaking with, what is a specific piece of advice you can give to our listeners on how you think we can make all things good in the world? Well, that is a very
1: difficult question (laughs) to answer, but I would say. OK, work from the individual, like uh, self-awareness of our actions and what we can change in our behaviors to improve our environment. It is not necessary to get deep, deeply involved in activism. You can change a word addressed to your colleague and that's all, nothing big, but maybe it makes the difference. So, yeah, I think... My message is work from the
0: individual. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Yeah, like it starts with self. Yeah. I love that. I love that so Thank much. You. <laughs> I, <laughs> Thank you. I also really, really appreciate you taking the time to share about ecofeminism and just how important it is and It's loaded with so many reasons as to why it's important. And you did an amazing job outlining that for us. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you again for
1: inviting me to this podcast. I'm so happy and glad and honored and everything. So thank you very much, Ariana. And I'm super glad to meet you that day to mention that day yeah so yeah and um, you can ask me to collaborate with you anytime <laughs> i'm super glad to maybe do another podcast with you so
0: yeah i'd love that thank you i look forward to that have a good day a good evening uh, Bye have a good day yes okay bye bye thank you you're welcome so much for taking the time to listen to this episode and please give this show a follow if you haven't already on instagram or tiktok the handle is atgpodcast222 okay i'm just gonna say it that was a little inappropriate to ask for a bite of a stranger's food but i was in this foreign country for one night One night only. What else was I supposed to do? (laughs) On a positive note, look at this beautiful connection I made with Marina. I hope this episode has left you with a deeper understanding of how feminism and environmentalism go hand in hand. And... How both can have a tremendously positive impact on one another while supporting and maintaining the well-being of women across the globe and nature as we know it. You can find links to the sources and resources mentioned throughout this episode in the show notes. I am so looking forward to sharing my last episode of season one with you soon, where I give you an inside look at my annual micro music and arts festival, All Things Good, which is also the namesake of this podcast. (laughs) I am sending you more love and financial abundance than you'll know what to do with. And I mean it. (laughs) Bye.